So maybe a first question would be, give us a state of just your tribes. Madison has just been designated in December, Truax Field, as the home of F-35A. Doctor, can you start? Give us an overview. State Representative Bob Culp of Stratford has represented the 69th District since the special election in 2013, meaning was, he was elected in 2014, 2016, 2018. But this is an exit view because Representative Culp has decided, well, to do other things and not seek re-election. Representative Culp, thanks for the exit interview. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and it's a pleasure to be here as always with you, Steve. And I appreciate and applaud the work that WSI does on an ongoing basis. Awesome, keeping the people of the state informed. That's what we try to do in the state uh, assembly as well, but uh, you guys do it better. Well, thank you. We consider ourselves a public service, but thank you very much for your compliments. Yeah. So why, uh, you're a fairly young man, why are you not seeking re-election? Sure, you know, I was in seven years, and I think seven years is a good amount of time to do the things that you were sent there to do, to have an opportunity to give back to the community, and then to just really say, it's time for fresh blood. I remember Representative uh, Mary Williams told me as she was retiring, she said, Bob, quit before you're cynical. And well, I'm not cynical. I'm, I've, I've told some folks that I can see it in the windshield, but uh, really I think that it's just time to, to move on and uh, certainly would have, um, would have in, in some ways enjoyed seeking reelection, but it just didn't make sense. It, it makes more sense to let somebody else come in with new fresh ideas from a different perspective and I'm sure that they'll serve the people of the 69th well. It strikes me that there are kind of two models of lawmakers, those that consider themselves professional lawmakers and citizen lawmakers. Mm -hmm. And with your own company, it's a roofing company, right? It is. Mm -hmm. Did you consider yourself the latter category, a citizen lawmaker? Absolutely. I think that there's something about people who see that a job needs to get done to do it and then say, I'm done with the job. And that works in the roofing industry, as you indicated. It also works that way in the legislature. It's just time to, uh, to, to really let someone else do it. Well, tell us about your district. Um, what unique needs, what special priorities, what projects did you work on over your seven years? Well, I worked on a lot of things that were for the entire state, but you know there were some things that I did specifically for the district. Obviously, a good representative will listen to people and people bring ideas. They'll turn those into law and try to get them across the finish line. One of the things that my colleagues in the Republican Assembly uh, laughed at one time a couple of years ago was they asked what I did for the district. And I said, well, I did a golf cart bill. So I became known as the golf cart guy. But it turns out the city of Loyal, the mayor there, there's a lot of golf carts and it was illegal to cross a state highway with a golf cart unless there was a golf course associated with it. So we drafted a bill and got it through that allowed cities and municipalities to make exempt exemptions and exceptions to that to allow people to cross over uh, the, 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 the state or the, the state highway. Obviously, that's not the only thing I did, but that was something very, uh, very district specific. Um, you know, when, when I look at it, I've got on two pages here all of the bills that I put through. They're not that impressive in terms of the amount of bills, right. but I think what any good representative will do is they'll understand what the district needs and be able to provide that, that customer service, if you will, on an ongoing basis that, that listens and then takes those concerns. And that's what I really tried to do for the district specifically. How has serving since March in light of the COVID uh, pandemic how has that changed? 
how you serve the, the 69th district? Well, it has uh, confirmed my decision to, to leave because we have some very interesting times coming up. I am certain of that, and I think that uh, others will be probably better suited to do that. But it's, it's not really changed a lot because a lot of what a representative does as far as technically is work via email and phone call and, and those types of things. Um, there have been a lot more Zoom meetings, as I'm sure you know, and those types of arrangements. It has also been really probably one of the most difficult times in my tenure to serve because of the fact that the passions and emotions are so high. So it changes the role to some extent to the state representative from one of saying, I can put new laws through, I can make things better for you, to just be a listening ear and say, you know, this is, this is how I deal with stress and with the things that come myself. So don't know if that's a direct answer to your question, but that's, you know, that's really how it's impacted the way I view it, and I believe the way my friends and neighbors view my service. Every time I interview an outstate legislator, I like to ask, how long was your commute? How many hours, how many minutes? <laughs> two hours and 16 minutes on two, a good day. Two hours and 16 minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You aren't going to miss that, are you? I'm not going to miss that. In fact, on the way down here, I was almost triggered and <laughs> kidding, <laughs> thinking, oh, why am I coming down here? Well, I'm coming down here to talk to Steve, so I'm, I'm, it's going to be a good day today. But, uh, um, how, has the, how, how has your district fared with the pandemic? Has it had some unique issues? Um, uh, it's not a relatively affluent district, is it? Well, it has the Marshfield Clinic uh, uh, Health Systems, which has been at the forefront of some of the testing and has gotten some large grants from okay. state and federal funds, I believe, to help out with that. Uh, so from that perspective, that's it. But, you know, I think one of the things that the 69th is very unique in, it has the highest Mennonite and Amish population of any of the districts, and that actually happens to be my heritage. And... It's also largely farm and rural. And what uh, I, I believe is kind of a reality with COVID and with the, the whole virus thing is that the closer you are to the farm and the closer you are to those roots, kind of the less fear you have about it. Although there is a good deal of, of uh, concern and fear and, and, and rightly so probably on the concern side. But the district is very much of an outlier, if you will, at least I believe it is, in the sense that it says, we really don't want Madison to tell us what to do. We don't want, uh, you know, just leave us alone. We'll figure this out. We're going to make it through. And I think that speaks to the being close to the farm, really. Well, on that note, just yesterday, the governor extended mm -hmm. the statewide mask order mm -hmm. uh, until November 21. If your district says, if the heart of your district is leave us alone, how is it responding to that order extending that you and I, when we're in enclosed areas or inside, must wear a face mask? You can imagine. It was uh, my phone, actually, uh, the first notifications, I got five or six notifications about three or four minutes after the governor's order, and it was none of it positive. Now, of course, you know, as a legislator, I need to be listening to both sides. And the truth of it is, I have been yelled at by both sides, and pretty equally so, because on one side we're not doing enough, on the other side we don't care, and, and it, it has been a really tough time. In fact, back in, in April, I literally said, why didn't I, and this is an exit interview, so I'm going to be blunt, why didn't I resign rather than just not run again? And then I decided, well, the people of 69th aren't quitters, 
And by God, as their representative, I'm not going to be a quitter either. So I'm going to hang in here and, and make sure that their needs are being met throughout the course of time. But uh, people of 69th, as a, as, a, as a rule, were not happy with the governor's mask mandate extension yesterday. Thank you for sharing that. You actually considered resigning over the pandemic, over the governor's first mask order, or also in April, we've had this round of uh, uh, debate over uh, police reforms, things like that, mm -hmm. but you considered resigning over the pandemic and, it, and the order? It was, it was a combination of both, and, and the idea of it was that it was like when... I'm fairly active on social media, and people of the 69th, I think, have, have uh, applauded that for the most part. When I say active, not a flamethrower, just trying to explain things and let people know what, what is, what's up at the state government. I think yes. that's part of the responsibility of a good civic uh, leader, as I, as I hope I was. Right. It, so in, in doing that, you would literally get yelled at from both sides. And there are certain points where you just say, this isn't worth the hassle for me. It's not, it's, wow. you know, but, but then I said, no, again, people of 69th aren't quitters. And I'm not going to quit either, so I'll keep continue to serve them and just suck it up and and take it. Now that's blunt honesty for an exit interview, but uh, that's what it is. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, let's go to the front end of your career. Mm -hmm. um, when there was an opportunity to run and you ran, why did you decide to? Uh, you, you've got a successful business. Why drive two hours and sixteen minutes several times a week to to come down to this? Beautiful building, but often frustrating building. Yeah, you know, and, and I could answer that any number of a couple of different ways. I could give you the vanilla answer. I could give you the down and dirty answer. And I'm, I'm really still torn as to which one I'm going to give you. Let me give you the hardest one first. And it's that I, I actually, there was, this sounds goofy to say, but there was actually probably something in my psyche that said I needed this for me in the sense of uh, I need to prove that I can do it. Uh, obviously, there's always the thing of how can I help people. But one of the reasons why it was easy for me to say after seven years I'm done is because, you know, I've done some pretty deep soul work, if you will, and, and, and spirit work and mind work over the last number of years mm -hmm. and come to grips with really why I'm motivated to do the things that I do. And I don't need that anymore from a uh, I have arrived, I have achieved. I believe that this is blunt honesty, but I believe that my Heavenly Father will say to me, well done, whether or not I've been in the state assembly. That's the, that's the, the deep answer. The, 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 the real answer, the other answer is that I saw that the people of, of the 69th really were looking for someone they could relate to and someone that could, you know, be alongside of them in the trenches, be their advocate, I saw the opening and I saw the need there and I said, I think I can do this. I think I can be that representative. So two, two answers to one question. That's why this interview is going to be cut off after 20 minutes and you won't be able to ask me the really hard questions. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep trying. Um, <laughs> in seven years, the toughest issue that f for you in terms of yes, no, nuances, just the, one, the, the crucible issue for you, Bob. The, the one that I... Uh, advocated for the hardest or the one that was the most difficult? Let's talk about both. Well, we'll talk about the one that I advocated for the most, and that was the dyslexia study committee that I chaired, the Legislative Council Study Committee on Identification and Management of Dyslexia. Yes. That was incredibly rewarding. And 
The reason it was rewarding is because of the people that served on the study committee, the people who came and testified, and there's still a ton of work there that needs to be done. Um, we, we went from third to 33rd in rank among the states from 99 or from the, the mid 90s to uh, 2017, 2018. That is a, that's a problem to me and something that we need to address. And three to 33rd? Three to 33rd, and we actually slipped further than that in the in last test. Three to 33rd in what category? In Providing services to those with in fourth dyslexia? Grade, in fourth grade reading scores. In fourth grade reading scores, our scores, our mean scores didn't actually drop until the last year or two, but other states did other innovative things and they leapfrogged over us. So we went in rank from third to 33rd. Why? Well, there's a, you would have, if you would have sat through the study committee, you would have unearthed a lot of reasons for that. And one of the things that we had a, a, a UW professor, Mark Seidenberg, testify that we don't have the neuroscience department at colleges working with the teaching curriculum department. And so you have results that aren't really in touch with science, if you will. That's one side, and, and there's, there's a lot of other things that enter in there. But Dyslexia Study Committee, definitely one of my top um, moments and times because of the interaction with the great people and also because of the, the concern. Was it the cry of your heart because you or a member of your family has wrestled with that, my, dyslexia? I have seven kids, and, and three of them had were never diagnosed with dyslexia, but my wife was also a dyslexia tutor, but she kind of moved on to other things. But So we had a real heart for that just because we saw the transformation in, in my wife's students' lives as they learned to read and the lights that went off in their mind and in their eyes when they finally got it. It's like, wow, I can read. That is just a gift that you have to give to each and every one. And that's why it really ignited my passion and why I stood up and said, I'll chair the committee, because they were having a tough time getting a chair to chair that committee. Did um, Were you able to get, were you able to make a difference on that issue as a result of the study committee? Were you able to get things passed through this sausage factory that's our capital? We, we made a good first start. We passed and the governor signed into law earlier this year the um, a gui a guidebook that will be put together by DPI as well as the, the, the uh, teachers institutes as well as the dyslexia community to put a guidebook together just as a bare minimum resource and then I had a number of other bills that we had hearings on that I believe there will be people that will pick them up and take them uh, in the next session. That certainly is my hope. But yes, I believe that we, we moved the ball as far as I expected it to move. Okay. Unfortunately, it needs to move a lot. So that was probably your biggest joy and satisfaction yep. and mm -hmm. achievement. Yep. What was, uh, you remember the most frustrating, difficult vote that you cast over seven years or the di most difficult issue for you? It was probably not a difficult issue from a, from a, from a moral and a belief system perspective, but the, the, the special session after the election a year and a half or two years ago was difficult because I had family members who were on one side of the thing telling me, you know, Dad, you don't know what you're doing here. And I, of course, uh, as far as when we slightly limited the power of the governor, and so to be able to articulate to them that the Reference Bureau and Ledge Council still say we have the most powerful governor of the 50 governors as you look at them. 
and that this is a matter of balancing the power, and we should have done it uh, potentially when, when we had a Republican governor. But to be able to articulate that to family members who were diametrically opposed to that okay. was really probably the most difficult time for me personally. It wasn't a difficult vote, and I gotta tell you, after seven years, I haven't taken a vote that, that will, as I go to bed at night, will haunt me at all because I believe that, you know, the perception is that down here in Madison, we are, we walk in lockstep. Well, you know, 84 to 85% of last session's bills were passed unanimously. So often we walk lockstep with the entire legislature because it's the right thing to do. But I've never been coerced by anyone in leadership that I have to vote in a certain way. And that's the perception that sometimes is given that because we vote on the sticky topics the same way, mm -hmm. we are you know, being told what to do or coerced. That has never happened to me. I've taken every vote with full knowledge and understanding of what I was voting on and the why behind it. So but is, is this capital a more partisan place now than when you first joined it after your special election? I would say it's probably about the same because that was in the the aftermath of Act 10 and all of those things and the passions were still pretty high and as you look at the roster of the assembly and especially the assembly very there are less than half of the people here that less than a quarter of the people that are here now that actually served during Act 10. Yep, I've looked and, it up. And in seven years, I'm already on the upper side of the tenure rank within the assembly. I'm like number 45 or 46, I believe, in, in tenure in the assembly, which says something about the good spin that we have. So if there is, if the partisanship has increased, I don't know what you could chalk it up to, but I think it's about the same because we had the whole Act 10 aftermath and a lot of bad blood there. And that's now ancient history for most people. As a Republican, let me ask you to generalize. What do you think is the biggest difference between Republican legislators and Democratic legislators, just from a general standpoint, just your observations? Oh, wow, that's a good question. I, I have no doubt that both serve their districts well and listen to the people in their districts, and obviously their districts reelect them because they reflect their values. Uh, I would say that probably the biggest difference that I see, and maybe this is more on a national level, I'm not sure, but is that um, it, it, my impression, this is only my impression because it's, it's a sticky question, um, is that um, Republicans tend to legislate based on what are the facts, give me the facts, and they have a hard time getting to the emotion or the feeling of it. Um, Democrats, Democratic lawmakers tend to be more about let's do this because it feels good and the facts we don't consider that as much. And I think it's really two different languages and there are big studies that have been done on this of, of uh, how people get into tribal uh, units and it's, it's the way they think. And I, that, that may be very simplistic, but it's a short interview. So. Well, uh, you're, you're on your way out, but if you could wave a wand and reduce the partisanship in this building, in the legislature, how would you do it? I would do it by, if, if there would be a vaccine that everyone could take, <laughs> that, would, that would make them understand that the, the, the other person has the, the best heart and the best mind that they can put to it, and that's what they're doing. They may not be agreeing with you, but just the whole thing of human dignity and the essence of, of 
how to, you know, of, of, you're a pers person of worth and I value what you're saying and I'll carefully consider it. If there were a vaccine that would increase intellectual honesty and intellectual curiosity, I think it would be awesome. I don't think it would get any takers, but I think it would be an awesome thing to do. <clears throat> the rumors that Republican legislators and their staffers are told don't socialize with Democratic legislators, Democratic staffers. Are they true? Is that still true? I have never heard that that way. I've actually heard it the other way. So it probably becomes a he said, she said. I've never had anyone on my staff be challenged or anything. That was, when I heard it, I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah, you, you, how, can you, how can you do that? And the truth of it is, there's a, as you know, Steve, there's a lot of collegiality that happens when the lights and cameras aren't on. My first day on December 4th, I believe it was, 2013, I was out on the floor and uh, one of the uh, gentlemen who's now retired from the other side of the aisle pointed at me and said, you know, the gentleman from the 69th that he read off something and then, uh, you know, Jesus wouldn't do whatever we were doing. We were doing something with health care that day. And, you know, and I thought, man, I'm really, I'm in for a fight here. This is fire. Then we get back in the assembly parlor and he sidles up to me and starts talking just the nicest guy in the world. And I'm like, okay, what kind of a time warp morph did I just hit? And the, the truth of it is, it's lights and camera and the assembly session and when you're talking to the news because that's what you have to. But there's a heck of a lot more collegiality that goes on than the general public will ever really know. And I think that's something that I'd like to let the public know. So there's a lights on game face and then there's a whole different collegiality when the lights are off? That's my, been my experience again and again and again. This is fascinating. Now, my next question is the role of social media mm -hmm. in uh, you as a legislator. Has, did, have you seen it dramatically increase over seven years? How much attention do you pay for it? Some people are slaves to it. Others may not even catch up with it, social media. <laughs> well, I suppose I was probably a slave to it early on. I mean, I had been very active on social media for five or six years prior to getting into state assembly and right. I was always very careful about my tone and what I said and to make sure that I frame it because I thought at some point I might be in the public eye. And, and even then, it's, it's who I am. It's the core of who I am. I believe that there has been an embracing of social media as a platform to communicate with by the leaders in the state assembly, especially on our side. I mean, I remember early on, one of the, one of the leaders in, on our, in our caucus called me aside and said, Bob, you're too active on social media. And I challenged him and said, uh, I, 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 could you please explain because how many articles have you read on how to effectively communicate on social media? Because as a business guy, that was important to me. And every new article and study that came out, I would voraciously read to see, okay, how do you actually do this? Right. And uh, well, about a year or two later, I think there was a, a sea change, especially in our caucus that said, look, this is a good way to communicate and to reach out. The downside of it is, you, you take away so much of the one-on-one -on -one face to face. And I think there's been a general coarsening of the culture because you can be a keyboard warrior just you know pounding out raw emotion on keyboards with no repercussions. I think that that is something that our society has, has gone backward on. And I would love to see that change, but it's an invaluable tool for communicating with people. Invaluable tool, but is it a, are you concerned that it could be a threat to our fragile democracy? Bob? 
I am concerned on a couple of things relative to social media, one of them being in the current era with just understanding how some of the search engines, and that's not social media per se, but how, how search engines and, and Facebook, for instance, are, are embargoing certain things that don't agree with whatever the, the current thought is. That, I think, is one, one aspect that, that really concerns me. Specifically, your question was, though, is there long, t do you, uh, are you concerned about a long-term threat to our fragile democracy by just the tone of so many social media posts? With, without question. On, on, uh, the way you phrase that, I, I, I appreciate. I think the thing that uh, I would say is that our democracy, our republic, is not as fragile as we think sometimes, but it certainly is a... I, I don't think it serves us well to have no checks on our human spirit as we are out there pounding on a, on a keyboard. And that's been always my cry as a post I did yesterday about the governor's new order is, I want nothing more for, than people to be safe, courteous, and respectful. And I'm not putting this out there in order to ignite a firestorm, I, I, knowing that it would, but just to communicate and calmly communicate. And over the years, I've been uh, applauded, as probably many other legislators have, because of the coolness and calmness with which I engage personally on social media. So it's also another way for leaders to be leaders and say, this is how you set a tone. I don't know that we always get that from all of our elected officials from top to bottom. In fact, I know we don't. But I think that is the, the way that, um, that we can embrace social media by showing how it's done respectfully. In the decades that I've been covering our capital, I've been fascinated by the uh, continual, um, not debate, but the idea of a rural and an urban agenda. Mm -hmm. So here's my question. Do you think legislators from our largest cities understand the issues in the 69th district and your constituents in the 69th understand the severe urban crime and uh, K-12 issues in the city, in MPS, the city of Milwaukee? I, I don't think there is a lot of understanding going either way. I mean, I know that from the 69th district, we consider Madison and Milwaukee to be northern Illinois. Um, <laughs> I'm not speaking for the entire district. I'm saying that's something that, uh, you know, that we've considered up there. Um, and my guess is the same is true the other way. You called us outstate legislators um, early uh, on in the, uh, in, I did. The, in the interview. And, and it's just, it's a matter of... Again, is it a bad thing to call you an outstate? No, okay. I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> I, as long as I'm not <laughs> flyover country, although I am over that O'Hare path to uh, China. But, I was going to uh, apologize if you felt insulted, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I didn't feel insulted. But I think, that, I think that, again, it comes back to we're, we're speaking two languages. We see things from two different, at least two, different perspectives, different worldviews, different things that have shaped us. And I think that there have been some good efforts that I think uh, the, the speaker put together a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to remember. I know Bob Gannon, who's now passed away, served as one part of it, and possibly Jason Fields as another part they of it. They were co-chairs. Yeah, a group of that, that went out to, to try to kind of figure out uh, aspects of that. 
I think that what the, the best way forward is to, again, just have at the core of who you are the, the, the knowledge and understanding that others may have a different experience than I do. It's not just my experience is not the only one in the world. That works as well with the whole, um, the, the whole race issue that we have today. If we understand yeah. that I, I am not a black person, so I don't understand how, how the, the world sees me differently. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just understanding that we have two different ways, at least two different ways of, of seeing the world and acknowledging that and respecting it. Did you ever, hands, ever, ever have a chance to go to the inner city of Milwaukee and talk to those legislators about the violence, about the achievement gaps, about the fact that uh, 60% of uh, MPS um, high school students don't graduate? Have you had a chance to, to walk in their shoes a little bit? I, I did not, and, I, and, and I, I could have and I should have. There are, as you know, a lot of things that, that vie for legislators' time, and, yes. and so I didn't, but if, and, and I suppose I just saw that as, a, as something that was an insurmountable mountain, and so decided to not engage in that and put my efforts into areas that are more engaged. I, I hope that leadership continues to do that and continues to, to foster those kinds of things and, and get people with passion from the rural areas to see what it's like in the inner city and to get people with passion from the inner cities to be able to understand the rural piece. So I'll leave that work to someone else. If you'd have given me that idea seven years ago, goodness <laughs> knows, maybe I would have followed up on it, Steve, and I'd have a good report for you. But well, for right now, no. Well, okay, let me ask it this way. Mm -hmm. The uh, Milwaukee Democratic legislators who represent some severe urban issues, what three things do they need to understand about Assembly District 69? They need to understand that, uh, well, broadband is a huge deal out in, in our neighborhood. Um, and also that, that people in a very red district like the 69th uh, are, are very much of uh, independent individualistic um, people that are not that don't like to be told what to do and I think that's a strength of character it's the whole idea between communityism and individualism and I think that in in the cities you you have to think more from a what's good for the community perspective versus the farmer who's out on his field equipment or with his cows and even if he's a large farm, he's a pretty independent, individualistic person. And just that's another way of putting that difference. You ask for three things. Um, the three things are the, the, thir the third thing would be just come up and visit. And again, I know that that invitation would likely be very open on the other side. But uh, we're we're definitely we're one state and we're a, an amazing state. But we have a lot of difference in the way we, we see things and approach things. Your constituents in the 69th District, are they concerned that the four-year MPS Milwaukee Public Schools high school graduation rate is only 60%? I, I have not, to my recollection, had anyone in the 69th concern themselves with that. Okay. Um, because of the fact that although, you know, I, I, we're one state and we all have... A, a shared uh, good or peril that can come, but in in our district, we're more concerned about how to get the kids from a huge rural school district from one point to the other, and you know, it's kind of what affects me is what is my concern. Yeah, and I want to pay uh, uh, I want to pay attention to that. 
the needs of the rural schools, are they in even uh, tougher shape now than when you joined the ledge in 2013? I would say, I would say not. Uh, from what I have experienced and heard from the superintendents, in fact, I recall superintendent from the Wausau, a Wausau district school, not uh, a constituent of the 69th, but remember riding a, a plane with, uh, with her two years ago, two and a, three years ago now, when we were putting together the last Walker budget. And I just said, hey, what about that budget? And she gave me thumbs up. I mean, this is good. And, and what we've done in terms of putting money into education in the rural districts and across the state has really been helpful. The first two years when I was in, all I heard about was we don't have enough money, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough money from school districts. Okay. And I, I have not heard that the last couple of years. Now, could be they just got tired of asking, but from conversations that I've had, they are what we poured into the educational system in, across the state has really been helpful. Has the, um, has the increasingly tough political discourse and the gridlock in Washington and the finger pointing in Washington, has that, uh, have, have you been frustrated by it and did it play a role in your decision to not seek reelection? Uh, you know, one of the things that I did when I, when I became elected here was I saw how on occasion the news is covered in this building. And I realized that if it is as fraught with inaccuracies here, if the same thing is true on the national scale, and I'm sure it is, and even more so potentially, I actually tuned out of the, the national news seven years ago. I mean, I kept, I would read headlines, but I was a voracious uh, channel news guy. I mean, it was, it was all about, uh, you know, staying in touch. Well, they repeat the same story again and again. They give you what, you what they want you to hear, no matter if it's MSNBC, CNN, or Fox. I mean, it doesn't matter where they're at on the spectrum. So um, it's, I, I really can't say that that had uh, any impact on my decision to not run again. My decision to not run again was personal, as I said before, okay. as well as the fact that, uh, you know, I've outlived my usefulness at a certain point. But nationally, are you concerned that we are so divided, so polarized? Are you worried? Uh, okay, uh, in January, you'll be a private citizen. Mm -hmm. But um, are you worried that this polarization um, threatens are the fabric of our democracy? I am very concerned about that, and you put it a good way. I mean, I, I'm in tune enough. When I say I tuned out to the uh, out of the national news, I just didn't run uh, Fox or CNN on a loop like I did before, because that just really served to depress me and make me uh, want to scratch my eyes out, and I'm not good at doing either one. Uh, so it was, it was. I believe that unless we have an aha moment that says, wait a minute, as a culture, let's not go down this road any further, that I don't know that there's any stopping it. I know that sounds hopeless. Um, and as a, I'll just say this, I've uh, been pretty transparent here, as a, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower myself, it's a cause for concern and prayer for me on an ongoing basis that we find our moorings, that we find who we are as a people and, and, and respect other humans, even if they have different decisions, that we drop the coarseness. And of course, one side is always gonna point to a particular leader, and right now it happens to be our president, to say, well, all of this started with him. No, coarseness and, and political division started 
long, long before that. It started, I mean, just like murder happened uh, with, uh, if you believe uh, the scriptural story, with Adam and Eve's first kids. I mean, it's Cain like, and Abel. You know, here you are. Uh, you can't, if you, if you want to, you can always find someone to blame or you can try to be a part of the uh, solution. And as I move into the next phase of my life, that's one of the, one of the things that excites me about continuing to be somewhat in not the public eye in an elected office, but I've developed a lot of relationships with a lot of people who've come to me with some of their, some of their inner turmoil, some of their, um, some of their angst as to where they're at, not only personally, but with their families and things. And I see that as a, if you will, a ministry for me to say, let's, you know, so yeah, let's find what our moorings are and let's have an aha moment that says, wait a minute, do we really want to do this? Is this where we want to end up? I don't know that that'll happen, but that's my constant hope and prayer. Well, as a Republican, I assume you support President Trump. I'm not going to ask you about that, but do you wish President Trump has uh, would not tweet as much or uh, perhaps uh, be president in a different, a lower-key style? How's that for it? Well, you know, that's, that's awesome uh, and, and a great way to ask the question. Um, it, You've obviously been listening to my private conversations with uh, my friends. Yes, I wish he would tweet less and, and, and be less incendiary. I've said that for five years, and that, that really is the reality. The truth of it is, though, if you look at, and this, this may sound partisan, I don't want it to come across that way, but if you look at how they turned, how, how the other side of the aisle turned John McCain and Mitt Romney into uh, people that hated dogs and that all kinds of things, if you remember those elections, the, the Republicans almost needed a street fighter type in order to, to, to cut through the clutter. So I think there may be something uh, of that, that that resonates with the, the, the people in, in, on the Republican side. I see. Um, I have always said that I, I, have not, I don't defend President Trump. I did vote for him in the first election. I'll happily vote for him now based on the record of what I believe that he's done that's been good for prison reform, for um, you know, lifting all of us up in terms of wages from 60 to 69,000 median income across the country. There are a lot of positives that the president has done. So what I always challenge people to think about is don't worry about what they say, pay more attention to what they do. And I think that's something that is very critical. Um, you can say all the nicest things in the world and not do anything. I would rather have somebody who says some really uh, ill-advised things, but makes moves that work and that, that make society a better place. Everyone will be the judge as to whether the president did that or not. I believe that he did so that he wins my vote uh, this fall. Very thoughtful conversation. Maybe I should end it this way. What advice will you give your successor representing Assembly District 69? Well, you know, I set about to, uh, my, my, my mantra early on was that I will work hard, I will listen well, and I'll do my best to serve with honor, duty, and respect, and dignity and respect. And I, and I believe that's really critical to anyone who, who is serving in any level of public office. And, you know, I, I just, I think that, I don't know that I can improve on that, and it's not like I have a trademark on that, but I just think that uh, honor, dignity, and respect go such a long way, and work hard and listen well. 
are, are keys to it. So that would be my advice. And that's what I've already told uh, the, the person running on the Republican side, Donna Rosar, that, uh, that that would be what I would expect of her. So um, hopefully uh, this fall we'll have clarity as to what happens going forward. Uh, I'm certain that the 69th district will elect a representative that represents them well because they've always done that. Uh, and um, I, I think that uh, there are a lot of good things ahead for Wisconsin and for the United States. Bob Culp, whose uh, career representing the Assembly District 69 as a Republican from Stratford will end in January. Very thoughtful conver- ex- exit interview. Really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing it with the Wisconsin Eye. My pleasure, Steve. I will miss these. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Take care. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel to gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol.